Welcome back to our podcast, which we call Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surround It. This podcast is sponsored by Safe House Rehab Thailand, where we offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. And it's closer than you think. Just visit safehouserehab.com to learn more. My name is Bruno J. And here's why I created this podcast. It's getting crazier and more deadly than we could have ever imagined just 10 years ago with opioids and now fentanyl, which is 100 times more potent than heroin. A while ago, I noticed that there was no podcast dedicated solely to talking to that one super important group without whom many addicts would never make it. And I realized then that I had the ammo to blow up some of these myths so that nothing but the truth survived. So if you love an addict or alcoholic and you feel like your loved one is sucking the oxygen out of your life, then this podcast is for you. If your loved one is driving you crazy and stealing your money, your peace of mind and your sanity, this podcast is for you. And if you're feeling rage and shame and your self-esteem has been flushed down the tubes, this podcast is for you too. We call this episode number eight, I'm All I Think About. This episode deals with the extreme self-centeredness of the addict or alcoholic and all its manifestations, including irresponsible and even violent behavior. There's a funny little saying in recovery circles that sounds like this. I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. Why this saying never fails to provoke a chuckle is because in recovery, we are reminded that we experienced a crushing of our self-esteem when we were out there using. Yet our thoughts invariably centered around what we and only we needed to survive. And most of the time it was about where and how to get and stay high or drunk or both. I think it's time I talk about the one major quality that every, yes, every active addict or alcoholic possesses, and that is, without fail, extreme self-centeredness. Some call it narcissism, and I don't because narcissism sounds like it's incurable. Well, there is major relief from self-centeredness in the process of recovery. So don't be too surprised when your loved one addict does the most selfish things you can imagine. Things that when she was, quote, normal, that is, not using, she would never do or say. You have to remember that she is now operating with brain damage. That's what the scientific community calls it. And that the compulsive nature of the disease is such that even with the very best of intentions, she will violate her own values and do some astonishing, dishonest, and selfish things. That's because your loved one, addict, has lost the power of choice. Lost the power to choose not to use, or to lie, or to steal, or to hurt you. It often feels like there's a sociopath in the house, lying through her teeth with a cute smile on her face, or crying with dramatic self-pity, oh, no one understands me, because it's all about her, all the time. I've seen it all, or at least I think I've seen it all. I was the house coordinator at a sober living house a while back, And I did see all kinds of abnormal behavior, from a young woman drinking mouthwash for the alcohol to another young woman who pretended to be clean until we caught her running to her car in the garage to get handfuls of speed pills all throughout the day and all throughout the night. And then the saddest case is we had a terrific Vietnam veteran who moved back to Mexico, where he was from, found a bride, then straying from his recovery program, relapsed with heroin, and ended up shooting and killing his wife and himself. Motive unclear. Reason for incident. 
relapse back into completely self-centered thinking and behavior. I have more stories like the one you just heard that I could share, but I think I've made my point. Selfishness, self-centeredness, sociopathic behavior can take all forms, including but certainly not limited to extreme violence. The tragedy of the episode I just recounted is that the man took his innocent wife with him when he departed this earth. As I've stated before, this disorder claims your sanity, your money, and could occasionally mean that it claims life itself. You can and should do something before it's too late, before the addiction inflicts even more drain, drain, brain damage on its victims. Yes, I use the victim word here because even though it may start as a recreational game for addicts and alcoholics, it becomes an involuntary compulsion after not too long. They can't stop and stay stopped on their own, even when they want to. Now, it doesn't have to be that way, not at all, not on your life. And that's where we come in. And just contact us at info at safehouserehab.com and we will answer, we mean any, answer any question you could ever have about what you can indeed do to help your loved one, whether he or she is an addict, an alcoholic, or you're just not sure. If you choose to leave your phone number, we will call you when it's convenient for you. Or just go to our new website, safehouserehab.com, and call the local number associated with your country. Local call? Easy. Bottom line, we want you to be able to make an informed decision at this important and stressful time in your life. If you choose to speak with us further, please know that bottom line, Safe House Rehab Thailand offers a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. And check out our new mobile access website, which we believe is the best in class. Just search safehouserehab.com and we'll be there. Let's talk about the sociopathic person the addict becomes as their disease progresses. And it always progresses, pulling the addict inexorably down further down. Addicts lose their sense of empathy because since they are so focused on getting high and getting their next hit, they lose sight in their compulsion. They lose sight of the feelings of other people who are more than likely suffering some of the consequences unleashed by the addict's selfish behavior. The addict wants his next high, come what may. It may be early in his addictive career, so he may not look to get high every day, but he will for sure Chances are, be high come the weekend or any holiday. He may have even been assessed and called a high-functioning alcoholic, which is what the shrink called me a year or so before my life went to absolute hell due to all the chemicals I put into my system. What is the addict really chasing? I've heard this one many times, and I can relate to the sentiment myself. And the sentiment says, I will never get the same great high as I got the first time I tried the drugs or the first time I had a drink, you name it. In my case, it was marijuana and hashish. The addict is chasing that great, incomparable, almost innocent high he got when they first took that magical hit. What is the addict doing now? Well, by now he's stuffing his feelings, applying a strong anesthetic to feelings he does not want to experience, like fear, anger, sadness, hurt, or shame. It's about escaping both the external reality, like a job loss, and it is also about escaping internal realities, especially his feelings and his thoughts too. His judgment is severely impaired because he's brain damaged. He has no clue about consequences. And now pay attention to this one. His judgment is impaired even when he isn't drinking or using drugs. It's irrational at best. And yet, and yet, the addict is at his most clever 
when explaining why he's changing jobs, needs a new apartment, or broke up with his girlfriend. Your loved one, the addict, the alcoholic, is unable and unwilling to take true responsibility for his actions and will always blame something or someone else for his troubles. It's never, ever his fault, for that is too much for his fragile ego to bear. He's thin-skinned, can't handle well-intentioned criticism, and yet he seems arrogant on the outside. He also wants to control conversations and only seems happy when, when and only when things go exactly his way. He or she, the active addict or alcoholic, is in the chokehold of the disorder, and it can be described as an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I know what that feels like and what it looks like. I was that guy 26 plus years ago. I speak not only from what I've learned from the literature and the, and the research, what I learned from a recovery meetings and friends in recovery, but also from the personal experience of the self-imposed hell I was living in. In my early recovery, I said to my counselor, Margaret, dear, recovery is really damn hard. And her reply was priceless. She asked me, Bruno, how was your life in the last year of your addiction? And the answer was, it was a nightmare of depression, anxiety, OCD, and even a dose of dissociative personality disorder. I had been fired from my job. I had no money, and boy, now that was crazy hard. I ended up answering my own question. My recovery gave me a real shot at a good future. My continued use would, not may, but would, end up destroying any chance of a decent future. I would have to continue lowering my sights, and here I was with an MBA from Loyola University. Not Ivy League, but well-respected university nonetheless. My using and drinking for over 20 years brought me to the gates of insanity and death. It wasn't until I threw in the towel, surrendered to reality, surrendered to my old, surrendered my old sick way of thinking, and embraced a new way of thinking and being with all my heart that a genuine long-term recovery could begin when I did all that. I was given what some call the gift of desperation. Oh, I didn't exactly see it as a gift at the time, but I did start to understand it that way in time. Well, I do believe there's no hope for a better past, but we can look at our past selves with more compassion. Our horrible self-centered actions are explained by our addiction, but they're not excused either. We still have to own up to what we did to the people we did it to, to make direct amends, but not to expect forgiveness, to live a grown-up life, to hold ourselves accountable without condemning ourselves either. On that theme, addicts and alcoholics are notorious for their overspending due to complete and utter irresponsible attitudes toward money as a means to impress you. It's called big shotism, a practice of one and all if they are drinking and using. Using unsecured debt, also known as credit cards, along with excessive borrowing, ends with bankruptcy. This behavior is also called being a money drunk, which is the topic of the book called Money Drunk, Money Sober by Mark Bryan and Julia Cameron. Check it out. It's an easy and enjoyable, insightful read. And it will give you some insight into your loved one addict's overspending and irresponsible financial behavior. Then you have probably the most damaging and sneaky addi addiction, the addiction to gambling. When an addict checks into a treatment center, he will be asked about many behaviors, about the substances he was using, whether he was working or not, owned a home, married, solvent, 
unmarried, divorced, etc., etc. The treatment specialists also focus on other addictions that may present a threat to the addict and his family's well-being, and that is gambling. Gambling has the potential to lose the family home just like that, or it might be a penny ante type of gambling that in time will get bigger and become more exciting. Gambling is fueled by greed, status-seeking, and adrenaline. Gambling addiction is much more likely to be present among addicts and alcoholics, but there are people addicted just to gambling, or so they themselves admit. I simply shudder at the thought of playing for the value of the family home in one game of poker, and that's happened. Then again, I was gambling with my life as an addict, right? So who's to judge, I ask you? There's a 12-step program for almost any type of addiction or for people affected by addiction, including alcoholism. There's the grandfather of them all, Alcoholics Anonymous, founded by Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith in 1935, now with an estimated 2 million members worldwide. This was followed by Al-Anon for the families of alcoholics, founded by Lois Wilson, Bill's wife, in 1951. Then the 12-step program began to mushroom, and now there are about 32 different 12-step groups operating today. Some of the main ones are OA is Overeaters Anonymous, GA, as we mentioned, is for Gamblers Anonymous, CA, Cocaine Anonymous, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, CODA, Codependence Anonymous, and so on. Here's how I personally feel about the 12-step programs in general. Nowhere do they claim to be the only answer. In fact, the founders encouraged people who didn't feel that a 12-step program was for them at least get help somewhere. They encourage people who need help to seek professional help whether or not they're in a 12-step program. These are not mutually exclusive ideas. They encourage people to get out there and give back to society and not isolate themselves from humanity or reality. There are no dues or fees for being a member. All funds needed for rent of a church basement or meeting room and for other things like coffee and so forth are collected by the voluntary contributions. A typical amount that a member will throw in the basket is still only $1 or $2 American max. There are closed meetings to protect the anonymity of members because the stigma is still there. And then there are open speaker meetings that allow any member of the public to see what is going on to hear true life stories. But if you suspect AA is a cult, you know, go ahead and attend a closed meeting and just say, I think I have a drinking problem and you'll be welcome. AA is a registered, not-for-profit, 501c3 corporation with its books open to the public and publishes reports on income and expenses and a balance sheet annually. Check out aa.org if you'd like to know more. There is no permanent president. Instead, the General Service Boards, and we're talking about AA now, the General Service Board's 21 trustees, each representing an area of service to the fellowship and limited in term, elect a chairperson from their ranks. There are currently 14 alcoholic and seven non-alcoholic trustees. They're elected from the bottom up and they are seen in this light. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. So much for it being a cult. So what we learned in this episode, number eight, is one, addicts are self-centered in the extreme and will violate every value they once held dear. These violations include behavior that is violent and physically dangerous. Two, they're always chasing that ultimate high like the one they had the first time. 
and this urge has them seeking out even more potent drugs in higher dosages. 3. Do not expect rational thinking from an active addict even when he or she is not using or drinking. This is not surprising since they are misguided by a damaged brain. 4. Addicts are more likely than most to also be money drunks, using borrowed money to impress, buy drugs, and fuel their lifestyle, lifestyle so long as the money lasts. There is no sense of accountability. Number five, a gambling addiction is also more likely to live among addicts, and it is one of the most dangerous nonviolent offenders because it could mean the loss of the family home overnight. Six, AA and the other 30-plus 12-step programs are altruistic, open, democratic fellowships and the last thing from a cult you could ever imagine. The Busting Addiction and the Myths That Surrounded podcast is brought to you by the caring professionals at Safe House Rehab Thailand, who offer clients a life-changing experience in the perfect environment for recovery. Just ask us any question, we mean any question, at info at safehouserehab.com, and we may use it on the air with your permission, of course, or visit us at safehouserehab.com. We want to help you make an informed decision for yourself and your loved one at this very important time in your family's life. So tune in next week for the next episode of Busting Addiction and the Myths That Travel With It. And we'll see you next time.